From 11FS, I'm David Breer, and this is Fintech Insider News. Today, we bring you debit cards that meow, my data is Sue data, and RBS shows its metal. All this and much, much more on today's show. Welcome to episode 269 of Fintech Insider News. My name is David Breer and I'll be your host for today, which is kind of weird because I haven't done this for a little while. Um, If you're sort of slightly freaked out by the uh, tone of my voice and the fact that I'm on point, then uh, we've tried to do a a few things on this episode and that's get everybody back together. Um, We launched... Uh, a few things this week we're going to be going into. And we're really inspired by the Spice Girls this week, which is kind of weird. So if I uh, if I start sort of breaking into sort of tune at any point during this, guys, then you know don't interrupt. Like I've been practicing my craft for a while. I've practicing this performance. Um, but um, sound meaner than usual. I know. <laughs> well, it's all about me. What can I say? <laughs> all right. Well, let's get into what we're doing. Hey, Jay. Hello. Good to have you back. Good I'm not sure back. which one of the Spice Girls I'd put you as, really. What do you think? Oh, I don't know. I've, I've not really thought about this. Scary, obviously. Scary. Oh, all right. <laughs> okay. There was, there was an intensity to the eye contact that I will confirm <laughs> that that is, that is true. But um, how's it been? Been good. Yeah. Been busy. Lots of client work. Uh, new propositions. New banks. Been over to Hong Kong for a fair amount of uh, work recently, so lots of stuff on. All this week? That's Not into- quite this <laughs> week. But since I was regularly on the podcast, I've just been, like, busy. Uh, too busy for fun. Uh, and Mr. Simon Taylor, how's it going, Simon? It's going well. Um, it's going really well. Again, been enjoying this week. I've, I've never done so much PowerPoint uh, since we started 11FS. It's, I've had like a couple of days of it because we're coming to the final stretch of something for a client. But you know what? We're also delivering a lot of awesome stuff. So I feel good. And I'm ready to do this. Well, like three days of PowerPoint after two years. And they're like, we can that's live with that, pretty, right? That's... Two, two years, seven months. And yeah, that's <laughs> the most we've done. I think we've successfully changed consulting. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, and ooh, what have I been up to this week? Have I done anything interesting? I don't think we've done anything this week, have we? No. Nothing much. Oh, is this you being smug on uh, launching a new thing with RBS? No, not metal.co.uk. Nothing at all. We'll come to that later. What's that, anyway? Um, so, as always, we're coming to you live from the 11FS offices here in WeWork Allgate, in the heart of fintech, London. Clearly, still, Brexit. It's not a thing. It's not going to happen, right? We're all good. This is not going to take away the shine, right? Fintech has got the word in in it. That's true. It does. I think we need to introduce the guests because we could get halfway through this podcast without actually talking about any stories. I'm enjoying this too much. Uh, as always, we are not alone, though. So we are joined today. So Ali Patterson from Fintech Finance. How's it going, Ali? All pretty good, David. Good to be back on the podcast. And you've had a bit of a fun week as well. I have. Uh, I'm going to keep mum about it, but I think it's uh, it, it, it's it's on Twitter. It's uh, It's pretty cool. And you've had a bit of a rebrand as well. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yes. <laughs> We designed our first logo on a train in about half an hour. Had to quickly bit of a, a, a proper redesign now. So yeah, new logo. Got uh, a few new shows going out, and uh, it's been yeah quite, quite off to China as well, which wow. I am is I'm so happy we got our visas. Getting a journalist visa for China has been a uphill struggle. So happy, and I'm I can't wait to go. I'm so excited. Well, I'm I'm loving the new logo. I'm definitely loving the new swag. So uh, yeah, good good to have you back. Uh, and we have Sigger, and I'm definitely not going to try your second name because I tried it earlier on. I kind of nailed it a few times, <laughs> and now I'm just feeling a bit nervous about it. So I'm not going to do it. Uh, who's the CEO of Asto? Yes, correct. How's it going? It's going great. Fantastic. Lots going on. There is. Um, Cool. Well, let's get into the news and see where we get with this. 
All right. First up, this is Lloyd's is digitizing. Ah, the digitizing word. We love that one, don't we? Oh, yes. Um, so this is from Sky News. This is Lloyd's to create 2,000 jobs in drive to digitizing uh, to digitize banking giant. Um, what do we think of this one? So it feels a little bit sort of robbing Peter for Paul type vibe. You know, this is uh, they're creating 8,000 jobs but removing 6,000 jobs. Is that right? Well, I think before we get into it, we've got a few comments from Catherine Griffiths from The Times about this story. I'm Catherine Griffiths and I'm the banking editor of The Times and this week Lloyd's put out a statement about some changes in jobs and what it said in a statement from a spokesman was that it was creating 2,000 jobs but what it didn't say on the record was that it was actually going to make over 6,000 roles redundant while separately creating just over 8,000 roles, different roles. And then there was a question of how many jobs would transfer or not transfer and why there wasn't a sort of more clear statement about the, the full picture. So what do you make of their PR efforts? Their PR efforts in general are good. Um, Lloyd's is one of the banks which has been through a very large sort of rethinking of its PR efforts since the financial crisis. So over the last decade, where it has had to deal with some pretty tough stories, um, not least the initial bailout itself, which sort of saved, was a real existential crisis and saved the bank from failure. But also other things too, we've had massive, massive payment protection insurance um, bills that it's had to pay, and all sorts of other conduct issues, which it's had to deal with over the years since the crisis. So it has become, like other banks, particularly like RBS, it's become much better at um, being open and transparent, which is why this, uh, this week it seemed particularly kind of off the mark. Do you think this is the right approach for banks from a transformation perspective? Yes, I, I think that it can only be the right move because uh, quite clearly banks, whether they're big or small, need to invest lots and lots of money and people in technological development. And that's a huge challenge, particularly for the kind of big incumbents, because they've got tens of thousands of people working in areas which are more traditional and while some of those roles are absolutely required, there will be other roles which are becoming um, over time more obsolete. And they've obviously got to deal with that. And that requires them either to move people if they can move them or and train those people up or to recruit new people. And that's um, that's a, a truth for, uh, for Lloyd's as it is for Barclays or RBS or HSBC or all of those big banks. How do you really think, though, that the people within the organisation will respond to this? Um, I should think they'll be, uh, you know, fairly disappointed, actually, with the way Lloyd's has gone about its public statements this week, because I think that, well, it's really great for Lloyd's to create about 8,000 new roles, if indeed it really does do that. Um, the fact of the matter is there are thousands of people, we don't know exactly how many, who will actually lose their job. And it really probably isn't any solace to them whatsoever that other people are going to gain a job. And I think that if you are running a business, you you have to show your employees that you value them. What do you think the biggest barrier for Lloyd's to actually make this transition success will be? I think there are probably huge barriers uh, for Lloyd's as there would be for other big banks. Um, I think that it's a sort of a, a massive giant of a of a company with lots and lots of layers and lots of established practices. Um, and while Lloyd's, I'm absolutely sure, will have some incredibly 
talented people working in digital and technology and development. Uh, I think that also it's a it's a, a company as as you'd get in any other sector really really where there's lots of tradition and and things and barriers that have to be broken through and also for Lloyd's as for any financial companies, smaller ones too. It's it's no one I think is really particularly certain exactly what the future of banking looks like. So it's kind of, there's a bit of searching around in the dark and trying to work out what the, the best way forward is. Super interesting stuff. I, I think the interesting point on this one to a certain degree is the fact that maybe Lloyds are saying you can't move people from non-digital jobs to digital jobs. So essentially, if a, there are a bunch of people exiting, but then they're creating a bunch of new roles, I think that's quite an interesting statement to a certain degree. Definitely like my, um, you know, the the slight sort of vomiting moment when people talk about digitizing anything is, is kind of not really for me. But, um, you know, if this is them saying, uh, you know, we're getting with the times and we're moving stuff across then then sort of all well and good really what do you guys think well i mean the the headlines were that they were creating eight thousand jobs but they were cutting around six thousand existing roles so therefore we're creating two thousand new jobs but i think the key here is that uh it's not an automatic transfer if you are working at lloyd's in one of these old roles you don't automatically get a new job you're now applying for it and I, and I think that's quite a tough ask. If you're, if you're talking about branch, st- branch staff or back office staff who are now taking roles in, in a very sort of skilled digital world, uh, you know, you've got to question how many of those people will be able to make the transition. And, you know, how does this play with the unions? I guess there's an optics thing of we're actually creating net 2,000 new staff and everyone's going to have to look at, at that move, I guess. I think it's actually just the nature of where we're at as a business overall. And, and I think the hard reality is that they're, they're the as we move to um, become more digital companies, and it's not just financial services, it's across industries, you are going to have to re-upskill um, people and you're going to have to give people the chance. And I think they are allowing people to apply for jobs. Now, I think everyone has to take a bit of ownership for their own careers in the, in the way, provided that the company gives you the right skills to upskill. To you know, Everyone has to be a technologist today to a degree. So I think that's just the nature of where the industry as a whole is moving. And, and, I, and I guess the underlying thing is that they are actually creating 2,000 new jobs. So overall, it's it's it, it's a good thing, but it obviously is hard on people, and it's important from a cultural perspective that you you kind of that they help them. Um, that was going to be the point I was going to make. That culture point, right? So there's six thousand people that are given the opportunity to apply for new jobs, but not guaranteed that they're going to get it. So there's a net eight thousand that could come in. So that was kind of your point, Jason. There's another thing as well. In 2016, they also said they'll be axing around. 12,000 jobs and that seems to be being left out of the job creation piece um so there's there's this really interesting like is this actually net creation if you look back over the last two years or is it a net loss but broadly i think Sigur, i agree with you you've got this challenge of the shift to digital is day-to-day it's everywhere it's the default operating model for a business but do they have the people that understand it and can they shift the culture just by shifting the roles they have it's an interesting challenge how do you shift that culture and how do you shift that mindset is announcing this to in the press the right way to do it it seems that it's quite digital supposed to be a lot more efficient but it seems if they're getting more jobs created it seems quite labor intensive they're not announcing their they're, you know they're, they're expanding they're in many ways announcing that 
they're creating 2,000 extra jobs to do exactly the same thing and getting rid of a, what's the point in getting say people behind branches if you can then, then employ double the amount of people to do the same service digitally so I kind of as part of this 3 billion transformation um, do you really need that many people or do you just need I know it's part of one of the 11FS things is why send in an army when you can send in a guerrilla squad so it, it seems that it's that, that army mentality mm. I, I think there's always that transition though to a certain degree because you can't just remove all the branches without creating an alternative and as, essentially the the creation of that that digital service that digital alternative could just be a transitionary step so i, th- I think it's it, it is interesting it's brave that uh you know they keep sort of coming out and making these announcements and you know it's not the only announcement that's that uh, lloyd's made this week there was a kind of announcement about their investment into thought machine so mm. i think they are making smart moves they're doing interesting things i think it's a good sign that they're not just expecting to um push non-digital people into digital jobs and expect them to just figure it out um so in all in all it seems like probably a sensible thing to it do. it feels like a bit of a portfolio approach underneath it but that's the frustrating thing is it's underneath the headlines you have to kind of piece it together there's no clarity to the market and it's still headlines being how you're explaining it i, I, uh, did, I did like the ft headline though that this was like a david brent level of uh, of of kind of escapade it's like uh, you know yeah, we're creating a load of jobs. Don't worry about the other stuff. Like, yeah. Don't worry about the other stuff. We're creating a couple of jobs. Don't worry about it. So Fine. Thought Machine, for those of you who haven't heard of it, are a really interesting um, sort of core banking vendor. They supply you know, kind of all of the things that the traditional mainframes would have supplied in a bank, but in a very modern way. Um, so this, that to me does suggest that you know, not all of the three billion is going on just moving people around. There's probably a portfolio of things that they're doing, which you kind of have to do. I think you absolutely have to do it. And I like, I mean, Paul and the guys at the Thought Machine, are building some brilliant um, tax stuff. So I think it's a really good move for them to to partner with them and, and, and invest in them and, and work with them. I think it, it frankly is the way the industry is, is going to have to compete is to, to have a have, have a multiple um, front in terms of the strategy and, and working and opening up the innovation ecosystem to fintechs and, and partnering with, with external providers is really critical. Mm. It's well, Travis, isn't it, from Thought Machine? Yes. Yeah. Well, he, the, yeah, agility. He used to do the um, the uh, co- yeah fi- the core yeah, banking exactly. in the sky. Yeah. Although Lloyd's owes me a couple of beers because I do remember introducing John Webster to uh, Thought Machine a few years ago. So Lloyd's, if you if you're listening, you owe me a beer. <laughs> yeah, ten ten million into Thought Machine. That's at least a couple of pints. I isn't think it? so. Yeah. I think so. Uh, I think so. <laughs> Lloyd's, if you're available, like Friday, come and buy me a beer. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, next story. So it looks like Marcus is absolutely crushing it. So this is on Finextra. So this is Marcus by Goldman Sachs is opening a new account every thirty five seconds, which is pretty bloody impressive. So, uh, Marcus, the online savings accounts from Goldman Sachs have racked up 100,000 customers since its launch just 40 days ago. Um, So, you know, this just shows what a better interest rate does i don't think it is a better interest rate we were saying this on last week's show and the week before so sorry listeners if you've been listening to all of it but it's not just the 1.5 percent rate it's the fact that you can start at a pound and it's instant access there are other people that do um you can uh, sort of uh, start higher at two thousand pounds ten thousand pounds or whatever and get similar rates or better rates or if you lock it up for at least 30 days you can get similar rates or better rates but it's, it's, it's not just the rate. I think also it's the brutal, 
simplicity of their onboarding and their experience. When you log into the website, all you can do is look at your account. The way you move money in is not through their website. You link an account during onboarding, and then you use that other account to push money in. So the two things you can do on their website is view how much money you've got and take it out. That's it. Mm, interesting. But, uh, you might argue that NS and I have been doing that for a long time. I mean, again, brutally simple website. Mm-hmm. You just open the account, you put it in, it gives you a set interest rate. So um, I, I do agree with you on the terms, you know, the terms around this thing about there's a, especially with interest rate tarts who are looking at league tables, there's always the small print of, oh, I'll put in a high percentage, but it has to be a number that's an even number between, you know, 750 and 800 pounds. Or th- there's always some, some catch there. So the the simplicity of doing that, and I love the fact that they didn't go out and build an app and say we have to engage with customers every day. You know, they came out with simple terms, a good interest rate, a, a well known brand that has some prestige to it, and yeah, I'm sure they're just turning the tap and letting the, the customers flow in. I, I completely agree, and I think that it's backed by Goldman Sachs gives people that security to put the money in. But I think that simplicity of the of the way that they've done it is 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 the reason why they why they're getting such traction, and it's just a really easily understood value proposition of delivering value. Do, do you think though the Goldman Sachs brand like translates to sort of normal people on the street though? Because I'm I'm not sure they're as recognized as Santander or Lloyd's or whoever. I think that because it's backed by a bank and people just feel safe with putting the money in, I think it helps. And also your first 100,000 customers may not be the mass market. It may be your finance nerds who have heard of Goldman who would be picking that up and finding out about it. And also the people that are sort of the nerds on the uh, kind of the price comparison websites. Um, But they will tell their friends and then it will drive. What I like about this is... It's an example of a really big bank using their brand well. So they went off their core brand. They did something that was close but not, but that was different. Uh, and the only other example that I could think of immediately, or the one that came to my mind, was uh, in the 60s when Barclays did Barclay Card, like of, as, a, as a massive roaring success as a sub-brand that gave them permission to do something different that their core business didn't do. And so this should be a case study for others to learn from. Hmm. Yeah, I, I can definitely see that. It's going to be interesting as the uh, – I wonder if people flex a little bit. Because obviously we've, we've seen over the last couple of weeks Monzo come out with a 1% savings rate. Uh, I haven't seen any statistics coming out of how well that's doing yet. Um, but I wonder if uh, you know a, a more sort of mainstream high street bank matches this rate in terms of what they're doing. Because uh, for me, I still feel like instant access savings accounts is sort of nothing new, even so for a pound. Like- RBS did come and match it, um, but they it was the catchers, right? So they said, we'll give you the same rate if you put in a minimum of X and you have this term of Y before you can take it out. So matching it isn't as easy as it seems. It's not just having the rate, it's those three variables that I think are key. And we've not seen anybody match it yet. I don't know if they can, frankly. The onboarding experience is brutally simple. Well, well done, Marcus. Let's see what happens next on this one. I'm applying right. for an account right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, while Ali's a little bit distracted over the next uh, next hour on this one, then, uh, well, do you say it's a five-minute account opening process? Five-minute so account opening. So I, I can create one in, okay. in the time of this episode. <laughs> Let's All right. do it and come well, back to you in a second. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, while Ali applies for a Marcus account, let's move on to the next story. So this is one in Finextra. This is Royal Bank of Scotland to launch digital bank for SMEs. 
Who knows something about this one? Are they a big bank, the Royal Bank of Scotland? I've never heard <laughs> no. of them. Tiny little organisation up in Scotland somewhere. I think you know something about it, David. I think honest. you do too. <laughs> <laughs> Please, tell us about it. All right, well, the story says that Royal Bank of Scotland has become the first of the UK's big high street bank lenders lenders, I'm not sure why it references lenders, uh, to open a standalone digital account. Um, So we know quite a lot about this at 11FS and we've been reasonably busy and probably why me and Jason have been reasonably absent from this podcast for for some time uh, because we've been up to no good over there sorting this one out, which has been fun. Um, So Alison Rose, the RBS uh, Head of Commercial and Private Banking, has um, actually spent a little bit of time with us explaining what she wanted to achieve with this and actually where she sees this going. So let's hear from her now. Fantastic. So uh, I'm joined again by Alison Rose. So Alison, this is the third time you've been on the podcast now, which third is kind time. of weird. You're like getting a kind of part of the the sort of uh, stand, like we should give you a hosting role soon, I think. So. Oh no, maybe just a, you know, loyalty badge. That would be good. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I guess the, you know, the context for this visit is sort of slightly different. It's been a pretty big week with everything that's gone on with uh, the launch for Metal. Yeah. Um, it would be great to spend a bit of time and you can sort of tell us a little bit more about, I guess, starting with why now? Why why have RBS done this? Yeah, I mean, it is a big week. Really, you know, super exciting to, to have Metal launched. Um, you know, it's something we've been working on uh, for some time with you, which is brilliant. You're our amazing partners. Um, and Fl- I guess... Flattery gets you yeah. <laughs> But why now? I mean, why now is we've been looking for the last two years and building an innovation pipeline. And really, that's been driven by, you know, we're in a massively changing landscape. Um, new technologies, very disruptive, lots of uncertainty, lots of opportunity. Um, our customer behaviours are changing. Um, and for me, that's the most important thing. Um, as we've been spending more and more time with our customers, which is what we should be doing, we're learning about what matters to them, how they want to do their banking, how they want to run their business, much more importantly, and what are the issues they need help with so for us it's sort of all of those things coming together and saying well also about giving customers a choice Mm. Um, so metal is really about giving customers a choice spending time listening to them about what really matters what they want how they want to interact what are the things they care about and how we can do things in a different way Fantastic. And the market reaction has been great. We've seen really good customer reaction as well. Um, I know, obviously, there's many organizations that have sort of looked at this type of thing in the past, and we haven't seen many get to market. Um, You know, it feels like RBS have done something different in this context. So what what do you think is the, I guess, the, um, how do you see this being different to how other people have approached it? Well, I think we've had to we've had to learn. Um, big organisations are, you know, particularly big corporate organisations are terrible at thinking they know the answer to everything and thinking they can do it all themselves. I guess my approach to this has been, um, and my team's approach has been, you know, we don't know the answer. Um, Actually, we've got to listen to customers and then we've got to work with partners who can help us um, figure out the answer. And also not knowing, you know, recognising that the answer today might not be the answer tomorrow. So we've got to be adaptable. So I guess we've really embraced, hopefully, um, and you you can give us more feedback on that than than I can hypothesise. But um, hopefully we've come into this with a really open mind, putting customers absolutely at the heart of it and saying, what is it you want? And then finding partners to work with to say, help us do this and let's figure this problem out together. So hopefully we've approached it with a lot of humility. Um, We also recognise 
recognise we can't sit and stare at our navel for 12 months while we figure this out, um, that we've got to work in a really, really different way and a really agile way. And, and the one advantage, I guess, we have is we've got, you know, lots of staff who are super passionate about customers, but also super humble um, and, you know, experts like you to really help us and challenge us. And hopefully we've just kind of figured it out together. Indeed. And it's been, uh, it has been a really fun journey, I have to say. It's, um, I, I think the, uh, the sort of it isn't what you do, it's the way that you do it type approach has yeah. really shown the, the benefit, which is fantastic. What, where do you see this going? What's your aspiration? Because um, obviously there's one thing doing it, but now it's in the market. This is about yep. uh, what we do now, right? Absolutely. And I think this is, you know, I, I, I see the launch as really just the beginning. Um, it's not it's not the end. That's not it launched. And, and there we go. This has got to be an organic and evolving thing. So my ambitions are really unconstrained um, uh, in that I think the development and the ideas and where this goes is unlimited, um, but it will be defined by our customers. So um, we've we've obviously launched a proposal out there, which is defined on their feedback of their immediate concerns. And actually, that, that's a really good learning point, because I guess when we started this, we had an hypothesis of what would come first. And actually, we changed that as we evolved by talking to our customers. So what comes next will be based on their feedback. The customers who are coming into this pilot are going to give us feedback and shape what it looks like going forward. And then in terms of the next rollout and, and what that will be, again, based on that, we have lots of ideas. But the key thing is we've got to evolve it quickly and make it agile and get to market quickly based on things that our customers are telling us they want. So my ambitions are unlimited, but defined by our customers. Uh, I love that because it's it, when you say it, it sounds obvious. It's like listen to customers, do the right thing, keep us moving forwards. Uh, but it's really hard to do. But um, anyway, I'll, we'll leave you to it. But thank you very much for joining us on FinTech Inside News. Oh, brilliant. Fantastic to do it. And thank you to you because actually your team have been absolutely amazing and it's brilliant. This is a partnership. So we're really excited. Awesome. Uh, great to hear Alison again. And as I said, actually, like third time on the show. So we definitely really need to sort out some sort of hat trick memorabilia of some description for, for people who do that. So, um, But Sigur, obviously, you guys are, are working really closely in the, the commercial sense. I think yes. in a maybe slightly different segment that we're looking at initially with Metal. Um, but it's a really interesting opportunity, isn't it? Retail banking was like the, the vogue thing, but SME seems like where Exactly. It's at. And I think we're going to see a lot more in the space in the in the coming months and year uh, if you look at the sme space in general it's been undeserved and in gen- and if you look at what's been on offer for them it's been um just not great in terms of um the the products and offering so i think it's this is great to see it's fantastic for the customers if you think about the kind of the small business segment the backbone of the uk economy 50 percent of small businesses um don't make it um through the first five years of business and and some of the reasons for that is that they just don't have enough time uh, time in the day to to manage all this stuff and really have a good view of the cash flow so seeing propositions that are trying to bring that together i think is really powerful yeah I completely agree with that. Like you say, when there's there's such a significant base in this space, and actually the you know the best that uh, businesses have been offered is essentially a, a retail current account that you have to pay for. Uh, <laughs> that's not good enough. So uh, I'm sure we're aligned on that. Which is uh, you know the the whole sort of thesis behind Metal for us is forward looking business banking. 
how do you create forward-looking business banking that, as you say, helps people make better decisions? Because usually it's a silly decision around uh, not being in control of cash flow or not being in a situation where you understand whether you can hire a person or buy a piece of equipment or whatever it is. Um, And the reality, really, I think that uh, all of this uh, goes through is and we can you know Jason Simon uh, we can kind of testify to this one really is um, you know being an entrepreneur is actually fucking terrifying like actually <laughs> like the reality is put up to be an amazing thing but the reality of doing that on a day-to-day basis is like a mental note of the thousand things that you might have to do and or haven't got round to and what we're trying to do with metal is get us to the point where actually we can make it so people have to spend less time worrying about uh the business yeah. uh, and actually more time making it successful and, that, and that's exactly it i mean we've just done a research in in this space and and we see that on average the people People spend three hours a week doing admin mm. stuff, and they're doing it up, you know, whenever they get to it. That's a month, month a year. If you can save some of that time, it's super powerful. Completely agree. And I think even though we look at, you know, that. Well, especially because we look at that change from commodity products, the ability of account just to give you a balance, a list of transactions, the ability to move money, uh, the number of uh, of jobs to be done, the the, the gap between the basic data and the financial management of a small business is huge. It's, it's bigger than the jobs to be done space for, for just retail banking. So I think that's what makes the SME space really ripe because it's, you know, we don't run cash-based businesses. We have, you know, invoices that are, that are due. We've got bills that are due. We've got this whole overlapping complexity that stretches out uh, a couple of months and behind us a couple of months. And, uh, and the ability to, to have an account, I think, helps with that complexity, uh, brings real value to those end customers. I, um, I, I run an SME and I bank with... Uh Metro, uh, Tide and Starling, I use them all for different things. And when I saw this, and yes, I have signed up for the early release, <laughs> uh, bump me up the list. Um, <laughs> you know a guy. <laughs> I, have got uh, like, the, I, I can't officially do that. I'm just going to point that out on the oh, podcast. Okay. So. <laughs> I have got the most ludicrous Google spreadsheet, which is me and my wife's caught me doing it at like sort of one in the morning where I'm on this spreadsheet going... If these people don't clear in time, then I've got to hopefully, you know, borrow this money here. And I'm, I'm doing all the various kind of scenarios. And I then it, it is a very well-made Google spreadsheet. And I've it's based on one that somebody shared with me. And it, it it's ludicrous that we're using effectively an online Excel file rather than trying to actually plan through an app. And I use Zero. Zero is great for P&L, not the best for cash flow. But I need something to be able to plan and to see what all the options are, what all the scenarios are, what happens in a worst case scenario, what happens in a best case scenario. Can I afford to do this? Can I afford to do that? And what should I be worrying about now in order yeah. of priority? Exactly. Exactly. Because there's some days I think, well, I should really be writing up this article, but I need to be chasing these invoices because if they don't come in, then I'm going to have to borrow money from this company. And it's it's stressful. It's kind of it's it's a weird sort of fun kind of uh, uh, game in some ways, but. I call it being a money ninja when I'm kind of moving <laughs> stuff around. But I would love to have something where it isn't just me copying and pasting Excel Excel things and then realizing two weeks later, oh, I actually didn't copy that formula across properly. And then that causes like a, a black hole or a headache. And, and doing the customer interviews for this, that's, that's what you hear time and time again, that I've got a bank account and I've got my accounting software and my accountant because I have to pay my books and I have to pay tax and all of that kind of stuff. But when it comes to that day-to-day financial management – 
I've got a spreadsheet or a notebook because that's how I track where these things are and, and what I need to do today. So I, I, f- I find that sort of space, that sort of day-to-day financial management sort of really rich in this, this kind of stuff. Hmm. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. It's how do you bridge those gaps? And like I say, everybody's got this weird and wonderful, you know, process to kind of match those things, isn't there? And uh, it's so much more complex than the retail space. It's um, It really has been a, a fascinating journey. So, yeah, so for everybody, I've been like super sort of cryptic over the last maybe sort of six to nine months on this one. The, then. the yellow card. That was... <laughs> March time, you, 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 showed, you pointed out, ah. Uh, yeah, all of these, like, make sure I don't show the card to anybody, all of those types of things. It, it was a corner. It was a corner and just was, a bright yellow. Yeah. A corner Drama. of a yellow card, a glimpse of it. <laughs> I, but, but OBS has been in the news as well, I mean, a few weeks ago around Bow, which hmm. we should say is a different proposition as well. So, so it's interesting from a bank, you know, with Santander and RBS and others launching a number of challenger brands at a the portfolio. same time. Mm. Uh, they need a portfolio approach. I think that's exactly it. They need that portfolio approach. Wow. Um, so for listeners who are counting along with Ali trying to open a Malcus account, it is now open <laughs> and our approx running time. Um, so we did have a, a little break for um, playing a, a soundbite there. Uh, Prox running time, that took about seven minutes. That's impressive. But they said five. Like, you know, like you know, I think the FCA should get involved. Should, I, I got distracted by having to go back into my spreadsheet. That's true. That's true. Um, so, yeah, th- you know, thanks very much for everybody uh, at uh, NatWest and RBS and Alison on that one. I think, as she said, really, the, you know, the aspiration on this one is going to be kind of crazy. So if you are interested in hearing more about Metal and want to join the, w- the waiting list, head over to metal.co.uk. On that note, I'm going to get myself another beer. I wonder if a robot will be driving us to work in the future. They say robots could become more intelligent than humans, which can only be a good thing, right? Stephen Hawking said the rise of robots could be disastrous for mankind. Well, I'm looking forward to robots doing the hard parts of my job. If they're smarter than you, they might kick you out of your job. Artificial intelligence. Innovation or invasion. Don't settle for black or white. For the full perspective, turn to the Financial Times. Visit ft.com forward slash subscribe today. Today, customers are demanding greater value from financial services. They expect more agility, innovation and security than ever before. Most financial institutions are held back by the shackles of closed legacy systems that limit transparency, block innovation and ignore customers' demands. Finastra has a bold vision to unlock the potential of people and business. They've created a platform for open innovation in the world of financial services with FusionFabric.cloud. Their solutions span retail, transaction lending, and treasury and capital markets on-premise and in the cloud. Start your transformation journey today with Finastra. Okay, welcome back to Fintech Insider by 11FS. Uh, We've just been trying to work out who we are in the other parts of the Spice Girls. So, like, I think Simon's realisation that he might be Baby Spice and Jeremy Yeah, uh, that's me. Ali, who are you in the Spice Girls? I've got a bit of a ginger beer going on, so... <laughs> You're Jerry? Yeah. Okay. Oh, well, but that's the, she, she's the one that leaves, isn't she? All right. See you later. <laughs> well, thanks for joining us, Ali. Sega? Definitely posh. Yeah? yeah. I'm actually posh? Yeah. All right. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> well, with that, what does that make me? Who am I? Sporty Spice? 
All right, fair enough. <laughs> I break in a contender. I break out the uh, break out the tra- the uh, the tracky bottoms, and I'll uh, ease myself into the I've second half of the show. Sick a cigar, indeed. Wow, oh, <laughs> there we go. Yeah. <laughs> okay, um, so if you wish you had been to one of our latest live shows, well, if you're in London on the 14th of November, then head to ZeroCon, where Sarah and myself will be heading up. Uh, fintech insider live at the london excel center uh last year it was a stupidly amazing show and there's going to be some really amazing guests from starling tide market invoice and uh, various other people as well as the return of the wall of emoji which is always rather entertaining Love if the i wall do of say emoji. so myself there's a few new emojis now as well there's the squiggly eyebrow one that was I, causing we're gonna have to figure out what that means yeah. went on the wall of emoji but uh, we'll uh, call on our, our friends to uh, figure that out for it's sure an, it's an incredible show actually and I've never seen where you get accountants so excited um, over a couple of days it's amazing there it's like is, Coachella for accountants yeah. it is yeah. there is no party like an accounting party <laughs> when accountants get going so make sure you're following us over on at Fintech Insiders on Twitter and get the latest updates on that Alright, well on with the second half of the show. So this is a story about HSBC. So this is HSBC Gets Breached, which sounds rather terrifying. So this is over on Finextra. HSBC warns customers of data breach. So HSBC has locked some customers out of their online accounts in response to a data breach that saw unauthorized users gain access to a host of financial and personal information. Oh, fuck. This sounds kind of terrifying. What, what's actually occurring here? Well, it wasn't that much data. I mean, only full names, mailing addresses, phone numbers, email addresses, <laughs> date of births, account numbers, account types, account balances, and transaction history. Oh, and payment account information and statement history. All right. Well, that's fine then. But to be honest with you, like, most of that stuff's already been given away in most of the other breaches that have been happening recently, right? So, like, I, like you know, me, me data, su data type vibe. <laughs> it's all sort of in and out there, isn't it? You know? <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, there's there's this thing, you know, this, this particular event that happened. We obviously had the thing with Tesco Bank. We've had a variety of data breaches. I mean, I think everyone's getting data breach fatigue in terms of the number of times these things are happening. I think you've got to assume if the data is digital, it's likely to be lost or or stolen at some point. Is that not just the reality of, of where we are now? It does seem that way. It's becoming almost stable uh, table stakes. Two pints in, it's stable takes. Who knows? <laughs> There's the name for the episode. Uh, table stakes in terms of being digital, isn't it? And I, and I think this is a really interesting thing because I, I think the tolerance for this stuff is becoming kind of almost an expected, you know, every few weeks, as you say. Um, but I, I do wonder if enough is being done on the back end of, of these things to either identify it quicker or prevent it if it's, uh, you know, seen to be sort of happening. You know, I know we're seeing a lot of the challenger banks coming out with various different uh, mechanisms to uh, detect these things a little bit earlier than some of the big organizations are. And and to be fair, I think we're talking about various different levels of complexities of hacks. You know, the, the Tesco hack particularly was... Uh, quite a sort of a slow bleed, you know. It was more of a infiltration of a network rather than a, uh, you know, a, a heavy sort of data breach where it was just all, you know, ransacked essentially in terms of what was happening. So, I do worry uh, that would 
ones the ones that we're seeing are the ones that have surfaced and actually the ones that we're not seeing are probably the ones that are doing it in a much more sophisticated way. So the interesting thing if you click into this story the bank believes that the personal information obtained from sources other than HSBC so it'll be one of these mass breaches um, that that will have happened uh, and included passwords from other non-HSBC accounts so this is called credential surfing so let's say you were in the LinkedIn hack let's say you were in Target hack Equifax whatever they get this information from you um, and then they might even give you a phone call pretending to be uh, you know sort of this uh, fraud prevention service and they're just going to check a few things with you so they try and verify those credentials um, but then it turns out it works uh, on a bank and then they can go and get even more information uh, out of a bank um, but there's an interesting statement here so this is from the uh, Rob Sherman who's the US head of media relations at HSBC important point most of the customers affected appear from this, it's not really made clear, to have been in the USA. Um, so this is happening globally. Uh, HSBC regrets this incident, and we would take our responsibility for uh, protecting customers very seriously, blah, blah, blah. We responded to this incident by fortifying our logon and authentication processes. To me, that says logon with username and password is broken fundamentally. And, and actually... Is the username and password the only way that we can be relying on people when they have been uh, so routinely uh, taken out and 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 uh, used? I, I know that now we're seeing people relying on uh, put in your card details, give me your CVV, give me that second factor of authentication, do something with your phone. There's this device in pretty much everybody's hand, and maybe it's time that that traditional username and password becomes the issue. Well, I, I don't know what uh, HSBC logins like in the US, but at least in the UK, it's actually. Uh, annoyingly difficult <laughs> you know you've got a 13 digit identifier that i can never remember combined with a you know digit five six and nine of my password and the little calculator to come out with the thing with so if they're fortifying that god help me i'm going to be uh, i'm never going to be able to get into my account um it'll be safe it'll be safe yeah. it'll be safe safe from you yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um uh, I think it's going to be interesting to see how many more of these come out because of GDPR, because obviously now there's a they have to. Uh, there's a law that is within, this the first big bank one? within seventy two hours. Well, if it's in the US, it wouldn't be forced by the by the GDPR in the, in the U- European you know European uh, uh, area. Um, but I think we're going to see a lot more of them. I, th- I, sh- I think the bigger issue is, I mean, just cy- cybersecurity is one of the biggest threats to the industry, but not just financial services industry, to any industry. And as things move more online and in the cloud and, and, and think open banking as well, this is just, we, we are going to have to work much harder as an industry collaboratively, both with, with um, government as well as um, banks, to, to work on solutions. And, and these are smart guys that are behind this. There are, they're always getting more and more sophisticated. So there isn't one silver bullet for this stuff. There's, we're going to have to work on this on multiple fronts. And I think um, new technology is definitely something that can help us there, fintech in particular, how do, we, how, do we, how do we prevent some of this stuff and develop new solutions? Well, if listeners do want to scare themselves, they should definitely go to the site uh, Have I Been Pwned? 
com, which is uh, have I been p w n e d dot com. You put in your email address there, and it actually has it's tracked five and a half billion different uh, email address accounts that have been hacked in at some point. So if that this data set makes it to the dark net somewhere, oh, then Jesus. someone harvests them, yeah. brings them all up, and over three hundred twenty two websites have been taken down. So it's interesting. You can put in your email address, and it can it can tell you uh, which of the sites you've you've logged into have been hacked. And, and the, the known hack, the data breach has been, uh, you know, found publicly. Um, and it's scary. I mean, we're up 322 now. But how many of those, you know, uh, and I regularly get emails from this website to tell me that, uh, oh, yes, another small little, you know, uh, retailer or newsletter I signed up to uh, has been hacked. So it's a, it's a good advert for that kind of, it's not even the big players, but all of the small players, anywhere you type your, your data in. Like, you, if you use the same password, you're just, you know, asking for trouble at that point. Well, I think that, that's also a consumer education. It's, such, it's so critical that people understand what the risks are and how, the, how do they protect yourself against, against some of those things. Hmm. Well, it looks like Simon's quite happy that he hasn't been hacked. Is that well, right? The, so I've got um, several burner email addresses that I no doubt have. Um, so I'm not going to try any of those. But um, the the core one I use for the important stuff that never shall be known um, is fine. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> so if you'd like to contact Simon, yeah. it's on Simon <laughs> at... No, so my main email address has been like owned on 30, 11 breach sites. Let's yeah. so, try just an older one. <laughs> I've now hijacked this entire podcast with people trying their uh, email addresses. Uh, let me try that one. Uh, My Pokemon Go one's all right. Oh, yeah, that one has. <laughs> yeah, so that one's been breached on 14 sites, which is like my, like, I don't care about this. I'm just going to sign up to this newsletter. Give me the report anyway, uh, email address. So I'll be honest with you, the guys who are listening who have hacked my email account, if you could just start responding to them, because like, <laughs> my mailbox is getting kind of full, that would be really, really helpful. But anyway. Will there be any fallout from this? Because we're in a post-GDPR world. Mm. Back in May, I sent out a MailChimp to 600 companies for a subject access request. I got a lot of responses. I had about 200 companies not able to do it. Sent it off to the ICO thinking, oh, this will be a bit of a payday for me. Clear my mortgage. Nothing, no, nothing back from them whatsoever. So I see this and I think, well, what's going to happen? Are they going to get a slap on the wrist from the ICO? No, nothing at all. So, Who is the ICO? Uh, in, uh, it's um, Elizabeth Denham at the Information, uh, Information Commissioner's Office. Uh, and they're the people that can find somebody if they're yeah. not following GDPR. Exactly, That's yeah. It. Simon had a whole, this, oh, is this a token thing? Is this blockchain? <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> That's what you had. I figured it was related to GDPR. <laughs> I, I, I just like the soundbite of Simon asking what an ICO is. <laughs> I feel like might be, that might be used Oh, to... my God, my email address hasn't, but I have been pwned. <laughs> All right, moving on. So this is a story about TechNation helping fintech play with big banks. So uh, TechNation's, wow, Paz 201-2018, probably want to work on the naming of that one, guys, to a certain degree, uh, a guide targeted at fintech companies from all over the world who want to engage with UK banks. Um, so let's hear from Greg Michelle, who is the guy over at TechNation, who can tell us more. So these onboarding guidelines were created by a body called the FedTech Delivery Panel. And this is a body which we were mandating, mandated to be the Secretariat of by the Treasury with a clear aim to bring high-impact industry-led initiatives 
um, that would help reinforce the leading position of the UK with regards to fintech. And very early on, we established that there was an issue with the way that fintech companies were partnering with banks. It was quite opaque. It was difficult. They didn't really know. And then on the other side, the banks wanted to be more open and make the process more more transparent. So this is the genesis, and this is basically what we wanted to um, address with this uh, document. So the document really is a way for the bank to outline what it is that uh, they expect from a fintech company and also the intricacies uh, due to the fact that they are regulated entities and they're not quite as as nimble as the uh, fintech companies that want to engage with them. I think we're at a juncture right now where the discourse of fintech eating the lunch of larger financial institutions um, is not disappearing, but it's going to the background. We are seeing now the the benefits of partnerships being struck between the likes of um, Barclays and Market Invoice, for example. Um, And why it is uh, beneficial, it is because I think, you know, fintech have the speed, they have the technology, they have the understanding of the client, which banks don't necessarily have. Um, And banks have the access to the client. Uh, that the fintech companies don't necessarily have. So if you marry both um, in a common understanding of uh, goals um, and particularly uh, mission of, of the product and culture, which is really important, um, this could be a very powerful alliance. Okay, so this one has been launched, as Greg says, with RBS, Barclays, HSBC, Lloyds Banking Group, and Santander. Um, Simon, you've worked, I guess, both on the side of the startup and the side of a big bank back when you were at Barclays. What do you think about this one? Yeah, so for my sins, I helped set up the Rise program at Barclays and um, the Textiles program, and we're dealing with startups every day and and a big part of it is if you've not worked in a banking industry before there's terminology there's all these things that they say they need none of it seems to make any sense and all of it's really important because like there's a committee and there's scary words half of the job of an innovation team if not more in a bank is just educating the startup on how to be effective when talking to the bank because as a startup you're going to get put in front of control teams you're going to get put in front of decision makers and if you say something that sounds scary or naive that's it your opportunity's gone Uh, and if you've got a limited runway you you know it's hard enough to work with these banks as it is so having this toolkit could could save a lot of people a lot of time uh, especially if they're working in an innovation department i think i mean i really like um what this is and actually um if I think about um, collaboration at Santander, a lot of th- those things happen as in people, um, it just takes time. And having a toolkit up front that te- that really helps you understand what do you need to bring? What does my pitch deck need to look like? What do I need to do around security? Um, what does my contract need to look like? Those things are really, really helpful. And, and what's great is that today it's no longer convincing the bank that we need to collaborate and we need to work and open up our ecosystem that's really a given now it's how do we make it happen how do we scale it and i think that's really quite can be powerful the the obvious um key here is to ensure that this is being used in the right way and and adapted to a way that, that it enables these things to happen faster 
Hmm. Now, it, it is interesting. It's it's a, a nice response from from big organisations to make it easier to sort of translate, essentially. So, you know, make sure you've got – it's the, uh, the, you know, the equivalent of you need to bring your driver's licence and your passports to, to kind of get into this <laughs> like type that. thing, um, which, which I think is a smart thing to do. I do wonder, worry that it's a bit fairy tale though, because, <laughs> um, you know, they've got investigation to qualification to proof of concept to pilot to scale with – and they all seem to be the same length of time, whereas we know, you know, from experience that the difference between a proof of concept and actually piloting it is just crazy. I mean, no, hardly de- no, anything gets across like that that, uh, <laughs> that barrier, you know. And the number of startups that uh, think they've got, you know, an amazing opportunity to work with a large bank because suddenly they're into a proof of concept that or could they got go a out to twenty million customers, and then you know they're waiting a year or eighteen months in order to get something live that you know actually we're not going to do it anymore. You know, there's. Uh, I kind of almost want to see the unofficial version of this written by startups who have been in this process because a lot have had a, a lot of you know pain, heartache, promises, and thoughts of a, of massive expansion and and failed. I, I can tell you from it. experience, a lot of startups thought that because they got in the room with somebody from the bank, they, that was it, job done. We're amazing. We're away, and they said they liked our thing. And you know, there's what you say and what somebody hears, um, which is you know that's quite promising. Keep working on it. Can be oh my god, they're going to work with us. It's everything. And so there's a lot of managing expectations, definitely. And and I don't think people can see this as the panacea for collaboration. But collaboration, when done well, I think works for the startup and works for the bank. I mean, uh, Santander were one of the first with the Cabbage Partnership to really do an effective partnership that generated uh, upside for both partners. You see now Barclays have done one with Market Invoice. I think we are seeing like tangible, credible upside from from that partnership structure. And I think what's really important is to have that real conversation up front. And I, we, we did a similar report last year through um, the Financial Services Trade and Investment Board, at the FinTech Workstream. And one of the quotes that came from um, one of the FinTechs was, it's better to get to a quick no than a long drawn out maybe. So it's, <laughs> it's having those upfront conversations. Let's not waste each other's time. Let's get to the hard work quickly, understand is there a fit and then how do we make it happen? Yeah, definitely. In fact, we know a uh, a, a guy at a startup was telling us that whenever he talk, goes to talk to an uh, if if he talks to someone at the bank when they say they're from the innovation team, he's like, "Well, you know, I'm not interested. Then bring me bring me a proper business person, you know." And you kind of think, Show "Wow, me yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's fair." But also, the amount of people that would get in front of that proper business person lose every opportunity, and they might actually have something promising. So, I think this is a good middle ground because uh, I don't believe innovation is owned by a team; it's owned by the organization, right? So, uh, if if that can be the case, that there's something that you know, here's your here's your prep pack, here's your backpack of, of toolkit, and you're ready to go. That that hopefully makes life easier. But I think, I mean, as with anything, there's no one sing- single silver bullet, and this is one one piece of the puzzle. And I think what Aileen and the fintech delivery panel is trying to do is to how do we ensure that that the UK remains the best fintech hub in the world and what are some of the things that we we can do to attract um, both fintech into the UK as well as drive more collaboration between um, big big companies and fintechs. I, th- I think in in my um, in, in in my experience and I, I know we've we've sort of joked about this a bunch of times before, but it's it's like actually the biggest thing that you can show that people actually mean it when it comes to actually doing a thing is like invoicing. Like if I'm, I'm going to invoice you for a pound. And actually, if you can get that through your procurement system and actually get it to us, like we'll do work that would for be great. It would be weird. Brilliant right? idea. You know, I, I feel like it's a weird trace. You know, like the you know, drink drink this sort of 
green liquid and if it makes it down through to a pound in my in my bank account we can start tomorrow type vibe you know but that's one one area where like the banks need to get better at the procurement system in general is is a very drawn out process so how do you accelerate that and make it easy agree i'm not gonna say the client but i've just had to fill out paperwork to show that we don't employ children (laughs) as part of the procurement process well you never want to say you're never gonna not (laughs) And on that point, does it count as a child? <laughs> I don't know. All right, and finally, <laughs> let's move on to the last story. And this one probably doesn't get any better than that, quite frankly. So, uh, I need me a debit card that meows. Right, meow. <laughs> Super Trooper references at the uh, at the ready, ladies and gentlemen. So, this is Finextra from Finextra. This is Anna launches debit cards that meows. Help me out on this one. <laughs> oh. <laughs> They're all coming out now. All right. So Anna, a hybrid digital assistant for SMEs that combines an app, card, and business account, is rolling out a gimmick after consulting an animal psychologist, Eleanor Hinson. Okay. Uh, So... Apparently, 90% of businesses' failures are attributed to cash flow problems, which sort of makes sense, I guess. You run out of money, you run out of business. Uh, Anna claims that a sharp meow, okay, (laughs) emanating from its app every time a payment is made, okay, could make users more think more carefully about their spending. Yeah. It's the perfect form of communication. (laughs) Welcome back, Jason Bates. (laughs) All right, so Hinton goes further to suggest that small business owners look to cats for tips on managing their finances. Meowing is the perfect form of communication. Apparently. Let's just stop there. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's short, it's sharp, but not intrusive. But, but listen, like, okay, we've got Tide, we've got Coconut, we've got Metal, we've got all kinds of players in the market. And, uh, and especially if you're an engineer, generally you're focusing on the product itself, the service, the, the real nuts and bolts of is this going to, to work for a customer. Um, but there is this angle around brand. The perfect example is aggregator sites. So really, are meerkats and opera singers really going to make any difference? Yes, they did. They actually determined who won in that space. Because against that whole sort of uh, jobs-to-be-done intelligent services, like fintech background, we're talking about this. Other people will talk about it. They'll share. They'll say how stupid. But they know that Anna is doing something for SMEs. We've fallen into the trap, haven't we, by talking we about it? So, so on one hand, you can say, well, hold on, this is silly. Like, but on the other hand, it, it gets people to talk about it. And marketing shouldn't be, you know, thrown aside as, as something that, hold on, you know, this is just, uh, um, is nothing to do with the, the success of business. It is. It gets people noticed. And especially in areas where there are a number of players are all fighting, actually getting you to talk about it is part of the um, the solution. It is, yeah. Donald and Trump references. Here we oh, uh, here we go. Yeah, like that. The sort of you know not all good, not all PR is good PR type vibe <laughs> on that one to a certain degree. But I, I think the, the the smart thing about this one though is that they're setting up specifically into the niche for SMEs for uh, the creative industry. You know, I think the maybe the smart thing about this is is that actually they're showing that they are creative. Um, and if you want to, you know, consume a service from people like you, then, you know, they're showing that they have a, uh, you know, they have a, a humor and they have a creative side that actually maybe will sort of draw people in. And also you've got that point of, you know, OK, Monzo comes out with a hot coral card. And why? Because when someone's next to you and you see the hot coral card and you go, wow, that's bright. Who's that from? Now, if, if I'm paying for something at a, uh, at a uh, 
um, a point of sale and my phone meows, that creates the conversation. Oh, that's really strange. Like, what's that? Oh, it's my small business account. And away we go. So again, it's like that, um, the audio version of the hot coral card. It's like the BBC jingle you used to hear all, all the time on people's phones when they got a new, you know, news uh, update. There is something about that audio branding as well. Audio so, signatures. So I'm defending this. I don't think it's, it's as silly as it looks like. Look. The first uh, comment on the, the audition video for which cat is going to be, uh, be chosen for the meow is... Uh, Jacques Laroque, who simply writes, I want this card. First comment on the thing there. I, and this actually ties in really neatly as well with, I don't know if anyone's been to King's Cross today. Did you, there's a massive meteorite there for Monet's. Uh-huh. And it's just, it's clever, it's, cle- it's clever sort of slightly out there marketing that people don't really think about. It's, it's smart. Are you sold? I'm not. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not sure. I, I kind of. I want to see it in the real world. If I'm honest with you, and then so so the. Um, I know um, Sarah Kachansky managed to, to to talk today to the people over at Anna, and actually, you know, they they've kind of reinforced some of these messages. You know, this is about being creative and, and actually being in a situation where they're creating a product for creative people. Um, apparently, they're going to be opening up all sorts of different types of noises that can can be there, and it kind of it kind of makes sense. Oh, really? Yeah, I know, but um, and, and I think I think it. Um, and it's a bit gimmicky, but I do think it is creative as well. Um, however, at the end of the day, is what services does it deliver? What's behind it? I think you know th- this can be a cut through. I spent fourteen years in the in, at American Express in the credit card industry, and we spent an awful lot of time talking about the design of a card, you know, the, the Centurion card, and and the impact. But behind it is what's on the actual product. It's really is is really important. We never got to conversations on. Should we put a meow on a card? But that's it's it's innovative, right? <laughs> I really don't think you push the envelope hard enough. <laughs> no, exactly. uh, American Express. I'd, I'd love to know what what would the noise of American Express be? <laughs> Expensive noise. Yeah, ka-ching. Yeah. a really <laughs> deep ka-ching. Yeah. ka-ching, but with like a baritone to it. The ka-ching that sovereign coins make when they hit each other. You have different sounds for different amounts. Like if it's a huge amount, explosions. Yeah. If it's, if it's, an, if it's an Amex black card, like it goes thud. Um, but if it's like platinum, maybe a bit less, gold a bit less. And then if it's the no, green an Amex, one. An Amex black card doesn't make any sound. It's just the silence of wealth. <laughs> <laughs> and if, if, if it took you over your sort of current balance, is that like a crying noise Uh-oh. potentially? Yeah. <laughs> Might want to check your balance. Like, like this has got to the point where, you know, like people had really annoying ringtones on their text message tones or whatever. Like, is that where we're going to get to? With we're going to have a crazy shot. frog card, aren't we? <laughs> yeah, because actually we could use the the merchant category code from the authorization message to actually do a different sound depending on what you're buying. It, you could be at like a burger place. It could go yum, yum, uh, you know, or, like second time this week, fat boy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. On that note, this wraps up this week's new show. Uh, thanks very much for to our guests and everybody who's listened into this. So Sigo, where can we find out a little bit more about you? You can find information on us on asto.io or meet Asto at Twitter. Um, what does Asto do? Asto is in beta and much more to be found out later, but it is um, looking at um, opportunities in the SME space. Okay. Ooh. Very, very good. <laughs> I, I like that foreshadowing. Will we find out more later? Yeah. <laughs> Will you be back on the show to tell us more? Absolutely. I look forward to it. <laughs> foreshadowing, foreshadowing. And Ali, where can we find out more about you? I am on uh, Twitter at, uh, at Ali Patterson. Uh, I'm going to be in, this is going out on the Monday, so I'm going to be in China at Money 2020 China all this week. Wow. Uh, which I'm 
really I'm really excited about and I will then be at Fintech Connect Live for and I think we might have Ross joining us for this from your team for the big fat Fintech quiz of the year which I'm very excited by sounds exciting plug alert alright Simon where can people find out more at S.Y. Taylor or letting me out of this podcast (laughs) what's your email address yeah that's exactly what it is uh, Simon's email address is freely available on the dark web Uh, of course you can get my uh, work email address at simon11fs.com if you want to talk to us about building something All right, Jason where can people find out more about you you can find me on twitter at Jason Bates lovely so what do you think of these this week's news stories uh if you like the meowing debit card or it's just a gimmick or maybe even an entertaining way to let people know what you're spending let us know on fintech insider our favorite tweet of the week will get a bundle of 11fs team swag all right i'm off to try and figure out what noise metal makes (laughs) (laughs) all right thanks for listening guys catch you next week